Welcome back to episode 62 of Sporting Max. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link, connecting you and your business with the biggest stars in the world with events and experiences. Please welcome number 62, former silver medalist Olympian, two-time gold medalist Commonwealth Games long jumper, Gary Honey. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max. Today we're joined by silver medal Olympian um, at long jump. And if I got my homework correct, um, I believe two-time gold medal Commonwealth Games medalist, Gary Honey. Welcome to the podcast, Gary. Oh, it's incredible to have you on. How are you going? I'm going well, mate. How about yourself? Uh, I'm really good, thank you. Um, now coming, like... up to, uh, coming up to episode 50 soon, I, I see on you. Yeah, or, uh... episode 50. That's a yeah. fair effort from someone your age, I'll tell you. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. Um, now, growing up, what like sports were you into as a kid and what was your childhood like for you? Um, I grew up um, mostly um, from the age of about four in Thomastown. And mm-hmm. so uh, back then, Thomastown was basically paddocks. There wasn't many houses. So we, had, <laughs> we had a creek, which is now a drain, but it used to be a creek. You mm-hmm. could swim in it. It was, it was a brilliant upbringing. We, we had paddock upon paddock to play in. Um, sport, I was a mad Collingwood supporter, my whole family, mm-hmm. my wife's family, everyone's Collingwood. So <laughs> I started going to Collingwood games when I was five, so I was mad on AFL footy or BFL footy as it was mm-hmm. then. And uh, then uh, when I turned nine, my grandfather, who was a, a Dutchman, mm-hmm. he took us down to, I think it was the second year of Little Athletics uh, in existence mm-hmm. down at Preston Reservoir and um, he took us down there and uh, joined us up and we had a run, you know, my brother, and we both did okay mm-hmm. and uh, just went from there. So when did you start to take like a keen liking or sort of interest in long jump? Well, it's interesting because in little athletics, I basically did everything. I, mean, I didn't lose very many mm-hmm. races, if any. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not No jumps. But, uh, wasn't good at high jump or the throws, obviously, but my father made me do them. So the saying was, if you beat the kids in most things, they can mm-hmm. beat you in something. So I was made to do everything, which was good. Um, and then, uh, then I went into senior athletics and uh, – I started off, I, was, I won a sub-junior um, Australian title in the triple jump mm-hmm. and I was more of a triple jumper um, up until uh, I got to senior level. Um, and then when I got to senior level, um, we had uh, the second and third best triple jumpers in the world, Ian Campbell wow. and Ken Lorraway. <laughs> so I didn't see a lot of future there as, a, as, a, as an 18, 19-year-old. So I decided our number one long jumper had just retired. So I took up long jumping and... Um, in 1979, I think it was, I won my first Australian title and mm-hmm. it just went from there and it kept, kept kept being long jump from then on in. So were you always, when you were starting out in long jump, on um, over sort of triple jump and things like that, were you always one of the best? Yeah, I was. Um, especially, I was very small, little athletics. So I was tiny mm-hmm. um, and I didn't really start growing till I was about... 16 so mm-hmm. I, I dominated pretty much up to I was about 13 or 14 and then I mm-hmm. sort of was third fourth second third fourth fifth best um, because the other kids got bigger and they were yeah. just bigger and stronger than I was um, my technique was probably better but they were bigger and stronger um, my dad just kept saying to me uh, they'll come back to you they'll come back to you mm-hmm. and they did and uh, we made a, a, our best decision we made my father and myself we had to come up with a coach mm-hmm. and we had two choices and um Luckily enough, I picked a man called John Boas, who was Ian Campbell's coach at that time, who was um, the second best triple jumper in the world. 
And um, we went with John. I uh, went to training the next Sunday and I had the same coach my whole career. Um, now, moving into the Olympics, um, I think you did compete at the Moscow 1980 Olympics. What was that sort of first um, sort of major event like for you on an international level? It was tough because the year before I went to the um, World Cup in Montreal um, and I made that team and, and and it's not a bigger meet as the Olympics, obviously, and, and, and I did well. I jumped over eight metres for the first time in my life and, wow. and, <laughs> and it, got me into the, um, it got me into the Moscow Olympics, but I probably wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had an injury, um, a, a groin injury, an adductor tear, and it, it really curtailed my preparation. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I got to Europe, I was jumping really well, but my run-up was nowhere. It was it was terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I, I did uh, three fouls in the qualifying round. They were good jumps. They were all good jumps, <laughs> no fouls. So I never made the final, and that was pretty disappointing. And um, But I learned a lot from it. And mm-hmm. um, four years later, I was well and truly ready. So what did you actually learn from that first um, experience at, like I mentioned, an international level? Well, the first thing I learned was to get me run up right. So <laughs> when we come back to Australia, we used to have 20 jumps off a full run in a training session, which mm-hmm. um, jumpers today will just tell you that's not possible, but that's what yeah. we did. Um, <laughs> they, they hardly, the guys, my, my coach who's now in his, uh, late, in his late 70s, he mm-hmm. still coaches the uh, second and third, fourth best jumpers in Australia, and they can't believe that. They don't jump very often. So mm-hmm. but that's what we did, and I never had run-up problems again. So we sorted oh. that out, and uh, you know that's that's probably the most important mm-hmm. thing I did. And I remember on the way home, John Daly, who was um, Glynis Nunn, who won a gold medal in 1984 and a half He was her coach. He was also the t- the coach of the uh, Moscow Olympic team for track and field. And on the way home mm-hmm. on the plane, he said, "Never let this happen again." <laughs> and um, fortunately enough, it didn't. Um, now you competed the 1982 two years later in the Commonwealth Games. Can you expand on the process you had to go through to make that Australian team? Oh, look, it was fairly easy. for me. By that time, I was well and truly the best jumper in Australia and and, mm-hmm. and probably close enough to the best jumper in the Commonwealth the year before mm-hmm. in 1981. I finished second in 1981 in the World Cup to Carl Lewis. So mm-hmm. um, I was in, you know, at that stage I was well established. So it was easy yeah. for me to get in. I was in the Commonwealth Games team pretty much. I qualified easily. So... I never ever worried about making teams. I, mm-hmm. I I was more worried about winning medals than making teams. I just took for granted I'd make the team. So fortunately, <laughs> I did. And uh, it was a first, it was a the Commonwealth Games in Brisbane were in Australia, so it was fantastic. But mm-hmm. um, I'm not a sentimental type of person. I don't do opening ceremonies. I don't do closing ceremonies. I just mm-hmm. go there and do my job, which was just to win medals and jump the best I could. So I went up to Brisbane and I was totally focused on uh, winning the mm-hmm. gold medal. What was that like to win gold on home soil in that um, event? It was fantastic. The only the only negative was on my third jump, which was the actual winning jump. I mm. broke my foot. I had a stress fracture <laughs> going in, and uh, we knew it was. Uh, the doctor said, "Look, it, it could be okay, or you could break it on your first jump." Mm-hmm. And luckily, I got to the third jump before I broke it. But um, <laughs> so uh, it was. Uh, I jumped up and I did the jump, and then I quickly realised my foot was broken. And uh, mm-hmm. then I was on crutches, so I only had the three jumps. And on the day, I was on crutches, and I was on crutches for a little <laughs> while after that. So that was a sort of a, a worry to me. But uh, look, it was fantastic to get that cheer from the Australian crowd, and 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 really to to win for all your training partners and mm-hmm. your coach, your family, and everyone like that. My my wife-to-be and all that sort of stuff. Can you take me through um, those gold medal um, moments? 
1984, the gold medal. Well, you know, I was um, I made the uh, I made the final. I'm like uh, the, the qualifying distance. I think was uh, 790. So if you jump 790, you're automatically into the final. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to do it on your first jump if you think you're going to win a medal or be competitive. Yeah. So I actually jumped 791, so oh. qualified by one <laughs> centimetre and made it look like I meant it, but I didn't mean it. I was pretty <laughs> – uh, unfortunately, I hurt my back when I did that. And um, when I got back to the village, by the time I got back to the village on the bus, my back was quite bad. So I went to saw the physio and they tried a few things and it didn't seem to get better. And he said, look, just sleep on it. I see how it is in the morning. Well, obviously, you're not going to sleep too well when you're, you're in a lot of pain and you're back yeah. and you're going to the next day. Uh, I, by the time I got to the training track to warm up, I couldn't jog. So it was a bit wow. of a problem. And yeah. uh, anyway, the doctor come down and he said, look, I'm going to give you a jab. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure if the pain goes away, it's just a nerve thing. Once the pain goes away, it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the plan was if it wore off, I was to wave my towel and he'd uh-huh. meet me under the grandstand. That was the plan. Um, so the first two rounds, it worked. The first two rounds, I, I was jump, jumping okay. I was jumping in the mm-hmm. 780s, which wasn't great. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, in... It started to hurt again, so I, I waved my flag, uh, my mm-hmm. towel, and we went under the grandstand, and sure enough, he was there, and he, he put another jab in. And first time mm-hmm. he put it in, he put in a, about a quarter of the bottle, and he said, uh, mate, I'm putting the whole lot in this time. You won't feel anything <laughs> for quite a while. So he put it in. I come out on my next jump, the third round, from under the grandstand and jumped eight metres 18. Now, you can wow. imagine there was, a, there was a few jumpers in the field wanted to know what the hell went on under that grandstand yeah. because uh, <laughs> it was a bit of a surprise. And, so the next uh, two rounds, so round four and five, I was sort of pretty uh, happy with myself. I was sitting in second spot behind Carl Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, and next thing you know, an Italian guy who I didn't really know very much about, a guy yeah. called Giovanni Evangelisti, jumped 8.24, so put me in third. Mm-hmm. And then there was a guy, Larry Morix, who in everyone's opinion was the second best jumper in the world behind Carl Lewis. Mm-hmm. And he had one more jump left too. And he wasn't jumping well. He was choking up a bit, and, mm-hmm. but he could jump well. You know what I mean? So I'm thinking I could go second, third, fourth. Mm-hmm. So luckily enough, I was the very next jumper after Evangelisti. And uh, the 10,000 metre race was running down the straight as I was getting ready to jump. So the crowd was going crazy. And I took my run up back a full foot, which was I knew I'd be running pretty hard and pretty fast. Yeah. And luckily I did that because I had nothing to spare when I hit the board. And <laughs> fortunately enough, jumped exactly the same distance as Evangelisti and beat him on a countback because I had a next best jump to him. So that gave me, uh, uh, Morris mucked up his last jump and there was a silver medal. <laughs> um, what was that Olympics like from your perspective? We, um, coming second place to Carl Lewis, who sort of later on was caught cheating in the ADA. Oh, look, he wasn't, he wasn't caught cheating. He, it's, a lot of people say that, but he, he basically um, was found to have a, uh, a stimulant in his system at the US trials two mm-hmm. or three years later. Now, pseudoephedrine was a stimulant. Now, if he was fed income taking, trying to take something, he wouldn't take mm-hmm. pseudoephedrine because it wouldn't doesn't do much. So <laughs> it, it, I, look, I'm not saying he wasn't taking drugs, but I, it was never proven, put it that way. Mm-hmm. But uh, coming second to Carl was amazing because Carl Lewis was the Michael Jackson of the 1984 Olympics. I mean, everything was about Carl. Mm-hmm. And um, the Olympics in 1976 in Montreal, um, they lost that much money. They're still paying for it. In 1980, the Russians had it, so no one knows how much it cost them. Mm-hmm. So coming into 1984, no one actually wanted the Olympics because no one could make <laughs> money out of it. So people didn't have the money. But the Americans took it and... Um, 
Peter Uberoff and, and another gentleman, I forget his name, they basically turned it into the corporate Olympics, you know, the McDonald's this, mm-hmm. the, you know, all that sort of stuff. So everything was corporate. You know, we had um, M&M machines everywhere, had Coke <laughs> machines everywhere um, in the village. You could, anything you wanted in the village was there. And um, they made so much money. And uh, so it was the corporate Olympics. It was something that no one had ever seen before. So it was just mm-hmm. great to be there. To go up on the dais, I was really lucky because all the Australian people that come to watch, there's always they always together in a group. They were right behind dais which was at the around at the middle of the first bend the track not in the middle as it normally is and um we uh so they were all right there my, my wife to be was there as well and so it was a great experience and um but really um it's pretty surreal for the first you know period of time uh until you sort of get used to the fact you've just won a silver medal and and then i'm the sort of guy that you know two hours or three hours after the meet i'm thinking well, I've got to go to Europe and jump in a week, so I better yeah. start thinking about that. <laughs> That's the sort of bloke I am, unfortunately. So I enjoyed it. It was great, and it's always been, it's always there. But um, I was quickly on to the next thing, which I think most, you know, reasonably good athletes do. Um, like you mentioned before, a jump of sort of eight point two four meters um, is what I would describe as insane. Uh, as an Olympic long jumper, what do you have to actually do to train your body and prepare your body for these types of events? Well, I, I, I was, by the time we got to the 1984 Olympics, I was training twice a day. I'd have one day off, so I'd have a one-day rest a week, and I'd work in three-week cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, and my weight sessions would go for three hours, so flat wow. out weights for three <laughs> hours, and that was heavy weights. And I was squatting 600 pounds, mm-hmm. uh, and I was only 76 kilos myself. So <laughs> I, was, I was doing insane weights, crazy weights. Um, my training sessions... Um, uh, were pretty pretty full on. I mean, I had to be because I was small. I was only five foot eleven and seventy seven kilos. My uh, power to weight ratio had to be off off the charts, and we got it off the charts. And that's how I was able to run as fast as I was able to run and and get that drive off the board. So I trained in eleven years. I never missed a session in eleven years. I trained when I was sick, which I probably shouldn't have. But <laughs> I had a an, a an amazing work ethic to train mm-hmm. um, because I always thought that, you know, when you're in Australia, you don't get the competition you probably need most of the time. Yeah. Um, and I always used to think, well, the guys on the other side of the world, they'll be working hard, so I have to work harder. Yeah. And that was my ethic. But, look, mainly a lot of a lot of speed work, sprint work, mm-hmm. heavy weights um, and plyometrics, which is jumping off benches, mm-hmm. bounding, which is hopping, stepping over, over you know, 40 or 50 metres, mm-hmm. and then jumping, obviously. Um, now, just two years later, after that uh, Olympics, um, I see you won gold once again at the Commonwealth Games in Edinburgh. What was that experience like, and how was that? Do you think that was different to winning gold at your first um, Commonwealth Games? It certainly was. In uh, Brisbane, it was about twenty-seven degrees. In um, in Edinburgh, it was nowhere near that. It actually, the day of the final, it was pouring rain. <laughs> and we actually warmed up on a squash court, believe it or not. So we basically ran laps of the squash court. Um, I had another guy on the event, David Colby. He was a young guy, only very young at that stage. And uh, we warmed up on the squash court. So the warm-up was awful, but you just had to do what you could do. Mm-hmm. Um, I jumped 8 metres, 8.08, uh, which was really good in the conditions because the conditions <laughs> were terrible. And I won fairly easily. And um, it was over pretty quick. So I, I had a lot of time to get used to it. But... Probably the funniest thing that happened there was that when I got up on the dais to get my medal, the Australian anthem didn't start playing. 
<laughs> so I I started singing it and conducting it, and the Australian people in the crowd started singing it. So that was a pretty okay. nice moment. So something something I remember. Um, I've read that you were ranked number two in the world in long jump from 1984 until 1986, um, in and in the top six in the world from uh, 81 until 1988. What's your perspective on being able to sustain your body at an elite at an elite and world class level um, for a long period of time? Well, look, I was very lucky with injuries. I, I didn't. I had, um, as I said, the stress fracture, but that wasn't overly, you know, big a, a deal. And uh, in uh, when I nineteen eighty three, I had um, sorry nineteen eighty seven, I had uh, osteoarthritis in both my big toes from pushing off jumping. Mm -hmm. That was just an operation to fix. Uh, the, the injury that really finished me off really was uh, I tore my adductor, or sorry, I tore my quad muscle off the bone and it mm -hmm. curled up my leg, oh. which is, well, it, it sounds really bad, but it's footballers get it occasionally too. You'll, I've got a little lump on my leg, on my quad, if I mm -hmm. stretch, I tense it up. And well, I played some Super Rules footy, um, I turned 35 for three years, and every time, <laughs> first kick, first kick every game used to hurt, then it was fine. So mm -hmm. I was really lucky with injuries, which, which made me be able to, um, have such a, a long, long career, and um, but when I got to the stage, you know, I just had my first child. Uh, I had this injury, which was going to be a bad one, and I mm -hmm. thought that was enough. And so, 1990, I went to the Commonwealth Games. Probably shouldn't have went. Mm -hmm. I, I was probably it wasn't in shape. wasn't um, Well, I was injured basically. I couldn't run anywhere near flat out. So I made the final, but it was a pretty disappointing way to end, and probably shouldn't have. Been. Um, now, moving on to 2000, you were inducted into the Sport Australia Hall of Fame. How did you feel um, when you found out you actually got inducted? Well, it was really funny because my wife and kids were up the snow. And so I got this letter in the mail and didn't have any idea what it was. I opened it up and I knew what it was once I opened it because I knew what this Australia Hall of Fame was. Yeah. Look, it's a phenomenal honour because, I mean, some of the people, when you go to, every year they have a award ceremony and when you go there I mean there's superstars everywhere and you get to meet them and talk to them because before the thing starts you go into a room with all the other people their mm -hmm. wives and girlfriends and things and yeah and you can talk to them you walk up to anyone and talk to them so that's a great yeah. great thing I've sat next to Steve Wall for two or three years in a row and wow. you know and that was great you know, it was fantastic but um yeah it was a it was a big thrill and um you know when we were wearing my family I was able to take my two boys and they were I think they were about 11 and 13 at the time and mm -hmm. you know, they met and spend a bit of time with him. So it was yeah. a great, you know, it was a great day, a great night. And, um, you know, it's a big thrill and a great honour to be in the Sport Australia Hall of Fame. Um, now, 10 times an Australian champion, 11 times a Victorian champion. What's your best advice to anyone who wants to become um, a pro long jumper and be a world-class athlete like yourself? Tell you what, you do your homework, mate. You've got it all, <laughs> you've got it all down. Um, look, it's um, the, the biggest thing I could say to someone, you've got to really believe in yourself. Um, but the, the biggest thing is you only get out of something what you put into it. So yeah. if you want to be a world-class athlete in anything, any sport, I don't care what it is, your ability will get you at a certain point. It won't get you all the way. So then it becomes the hard work. The harder, harder the work, harder you work, the luckier you get. And I really believe that. So if you go, if anything you're doing, like what you're doing now, the yeah. more you put into it, the more effort you put into it, the harder you work, the harder you try, Every stone unturned, you'll get the results. Uh, thanks, Gary, for coming on the podcast today and putting aside some of your time to come on and have a chat. Oh, it's been an honour. Mate, it's been an honour to talk to you, mate. Good luck with the next uh, the 50th and the, the next 50 after that. Thanks, Gary. Stay tuned, everyone, for Smart Sporting Max. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Sporting Max. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify or YouTube and be sure to follow our socials. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link. This is the voice of Melbourne and we'll see you back here real soon for another episode of Sporting Max.